when you're looking to figure out what you're going to do and you're coming to New York because you have to go to Times Square. Yes, go to Times Square. However, get on the train or get an e-bike and pedal your way uptown. So hey, I'm Trinez Woods Black. I am third generation Sylvia's Restaurant, the queen of soul food. Hailing from the greatest village on the planet, Harlem, USA, located in Manhattan. What's really cool about visiting New York City's five boroughs is that each neighborhood has just a unique makeup that is unlike any other place you've ever been to. I like to call them villages because when you think about villages, you think about close-knit, folks know your names, um, specialty boutiques, and that's what it's like living in Harlem. I know when people think of Harlem, they think of jazz, they think of art, they think of Langston Hughes. Harlem has a bit of everything. Um, we have great stores some of the best artisans, magnificent parks. And we have these amazing art galleries. You can find a church on every block. Absolutely gorgeous. The Harlem Chocolate Factory, literally, oh my gosh, the chocolate just melts in your mouth. Walk into Sylvia's restaurant and experience more than six decades of flavor. What I also like about living in New York is being able to trace the paths of people that I admire. So to know that I'm walking along the same street that Maya Angelou walked on or Langston Hughes. And each street, each avenue has its own flavor. I mean, it's just like this magical place that is a little bit of suburban feel but definitely has the edge and the energy of the city. If you're not able to visit Trinesse at Sylvia's in Harlem, you can catch her in Netflix's new show, Warren Stories, and on Thrillist Ghost Kitchen on YouTube. So with that, I'll say, I'll see you in Harlem. Cornbread hugs. So we're closing out this season, if you couldn't tell, by covering New York City. Now, obviously, we can only fit a modicum of the city into just one podcast episode, so we tried to do something a little different here. Since everyone always thinks they know New York best, we're going to be playing a few rounds of New York City-themed trivia with some notable New Yorkers, and we'll be hearing from a representative from each borough as they make their case as to why you should definitely venture away from Midtown Manhattan on your next trip. Look, we have a ton of stuff to cover, so let's get right to it. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. You might know Julia Fox best from her role as Julia in Uncut Gems, which is already one of the great New York City movies, in my opinion. But she's also a native New Yorker who has been a key fixture in the city's culture and nightlife scene for about a decade. Basically, she's one of those New Yorkers that most other New Yorkers aspire to be. And she was cool enough to play some NYC trivia with us. You know, I think first off, Julia, I want to ask you, how long have you lived in New York City? 
I would say probably mostly like my whole life has been kind of spent here. Well, on that note, you know, we do have some New York City-centric trivia questions for you. It's multiple choice. Okay, I literally suck at trivia stuff. <laughs> I just have a horrible memory. <laughs> this is about, you know, th- there's there's no curveballs in here. This is about New York, right? Okay. Yeah, and I will say for every correct answer, I will Venmo you $1. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start with everyone's favorite part of New York, Times Square. That's like everyone's least favorite part of New York. <laughs> I know, it was a joke. Okay, so... At the intersection of Broadway and 7th Avenue, between 45th and 46th Street, in the middle of Times Square, there's a hidden art installation that's been there for several decades, created by artist Max Newhouse. I literally have no idea what you're talking about. I don't go to Times Square. What does the installation consist of? A. A series of flashing lights that spells New York, New York in Morse code. B. A street grate that emits a low-frequency humming sound 24-7. Or C, a pile of discarded costumes from the off-brand characters in Times Square like Elmo and Buzz Lightyear. I think probably the first one. The flashing lights that spells New York, New York in Morse code? Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool, but no, that's not the correct answer. (laughs) It's B, there's a street grate there that emits this low-frequency humming sound, kind of like an um sound. And it's an art installation that runs all the time. I had no idea. I know. We don't go, like, see these landmarks. Let me ask you this. What is your favorite, like, tourist trap in the city? If someone's coming in and they, you know, want to do something very basic New York. What we love to do is get jet skis right across the Hudson River and right in New Jersey. And then you go on like a a fun jet ski tour and you can go like really close to the Statue of Liberty. It was was cool because it was like immersive and you also got to see the city from a different perspective. And then um, another thing that I love doing is taking the ferry, going to Rockaway Beach or just taking the ferry and like going in a circle. You know, it's whatever. We, we really enjoy doing that, too. All right. So next question. You have Papaya King, Papaya Dog, Grace Papaya. These are three different regional mini chains that exist in the city that basically serve the same thing. Hot dogs and creamy sweet papaya drinks and other tropical drinks. So do you know which chain was the first to start this tradition? Grace Papaya? Oh no, it's Papaya King. It's uh, found in the Upper East Side on 86th and 3rd in the 1930s. That's where I grew up. I grew up on 84th and 3rd. So Oh no way. Yeah, that was the one that I grew up going to. I didn't know that that was the first one ever though. That's crazy. Yeah, and they, he just wanted to sell those drinks pretty much and then, you know, that area of the Upper East Side is called Yorkville. A ton of German immigrants. Um, so he just started selling hot dogs too and just kind of ca- caught on. Oh wow, that's so cool. I love that little his anecdote. I had no idea. Yeah. What is your go-to drunk food in the city? Artichoke pizza. Love it. So good. So heavy. Probably a thousand calories, but totally worth every single one. Totally. Uh, is that your favorite pizza place in the city? Is that your go-to? Um, I really I like Scar's Pizza also, but they're both honestly. I'm I'm the worst Italian ever because I've never had a slice of pizza I didn't like. Scars is great. That was actually, that would be my pick. That's when, when people come into town and they're like, I just want to go to a, like, sit down, have like a slice of New York City pizza. I always direct them there, even though it's relatively new. It's just 
It's so cool. They mill their own flour in the basement. It has this whole like retro look. Great natural wine too. Yeah, and also really good homemade sodas for any soda drinkers. Their cherry Coke or whatever it is is really good. Cool. All right. So next question. Greenwood Cemetery in South Brooklyn is a tourist destination in its own right. It's almost 500 acres big, and it's the final resting place of famous New Yorkers like John michel Basquiat and Boss Tweed. But the cemetery has another notable living resident. There's actually a type of animal that is usually not found in New York that is currently living in Greenwood Cemetery and has been for quite some time. Is it A, chinchillas, B, peacocks, or C, parrots? I would say peacocks, maybe. You would think that was the right answer, but it's actually C, parrots. What? Wow, I had no idea. The first time I went there, I had just taken an edible, was walking around the cemetery, saw these parrots. It really blew my mind. I'll never forget that moment. But yeah, they roost kind of up in um, in the entrance gate, and there's a ton of them. Wow, that's awesome. I had two of those parrots. They're, they don't ever shut the f*** up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this is another food question. This is a a real hidden gem. The Hindu Temple Society of North America in Flushing, Queens is one of the first Hindu temples ever constructed in the United States. Uh, It's commonly called Ganesh Temple. It's notable in itself, but there's another reason this place is so well known out in Queens. What notable feature can you find in the basement of the temple? A, a South Indian cafeteria selling some of the best doses in the city. B, A live music venue where some of New York City's biggest indie bands got their start. Or C, a mini mall of designer fashion brands. Oh my god, it could literally be all three. I would say um, the first one, the food. Yeah. With dosas. Yep, that's right. Temple Canteen, uh, truly amazing doses. You know, that's a place where... You have no idea it's there unless you know about it or you read about it and you go there. New York is full of that stuff. In your mind, what's one of your favorite, like, hidden gems, like things that, you know, whether it's a restaurant or a bar or, you know, some destination that you don't really know about unless you're kind of from here? Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like New Yorkers do know about it, like the Russian and Turkish baths. And yeah, and it's it's like a whole day affair. You know, you go there, you eat, go back, eat, go back, you smoke outside, go back. Like, it's like a whole thing. Like, for me, a spa day would be going there, not like going to like a fancy spa where you like spend like $1,000. Okay, so th- this question, this is a pretty famous place. This diminutive East Harlem restaurant opened in 1896, and it's sometimes called the most exclusive reservation in the world, as you have to be on their list to book a table. Yep, you got it. Yeah. (laughs) So we were actually able to interview one of the owners of Rayo's a few months ago inside the iconic East Harlem restaurant. Let's roll that clip. Hi, I'm Ron Stracy. I'm one of the co-owners of this restaurant that was opened by my grandfather in 1896. So it's probably the oldest restaurant in America that's never moved, owned by one family. There are, there are so many things that are made here that are better than anywhere else. The lemon chicken that Uncle Vincent dreamed up, uh, the meatballs, uh, that's a family event that no one makes a meatball like here. But the rest of it is just quality Southern Italian food made fresh. 
There are a lot of famous people who have been here, from presidents to entertainers to the man down the street. It's a welcome restaurant for anyone who comes in the door. So I would say if the restaurant holds about 70 people a night, I would say 60 of them are regulars. We've always, we've always uh, uh, wondered what it would be like to have a bigger restaurant, but again, that's a double-edged sword. The fact that it is small and the fact that it is like a family operation uh, makes everyone feel comfortable here. Well, I think we would lose a little bit of that uh, conviviality if it was bigger. A New York restaurant is a quality restaurant when it serves good food, served by attentive people, and the atmosphere is, is uh, uh, inducive to not only enjoying your evening, but wanting to come back. So, Julia, you know, on that, um, a lot of the regulars on the list are professional athletes, ex-presidents, assorted famous people. Um, you're an actress, and I feel like a lot of people, when they come to New York City, they want to go to a place where they might spot their favorite singer or whatever, what are some places in the city where people might be able to do that? Carbone. If you want to see celebrities, go to Carbone. Um, you could also go to Lucien. There's sometimes also celebrities there. Um, Via Carota, which is this other place in the West Village. There's celebrities there a lot. Um, Cipriani, of course. Yep. There's always going to be celebrity there. Totally. Well, all of those restaurants that you mentioned, they uh, are also, you know, they're... They're a little upscale, but they're also great restaurants in their own right to go to and have yeah. like a real like New York thematic experience, especially Carbone. It's like a whole show. Yeah. Carbone is very hard to get a reservation. <laughs> 100%. All right. So the last question, you talked about the ferry a little bit before. I also love the ferry. Um, how much does it cost to ride the Staten Island Ferry one way? A, 275 B, 550 or C, the Staten Island Ferry is free. You can just jump on and go to Staten Island. It's free. You can just jump on it. Yep. Boom. It's a good hack. It's a beautiful view. And, and you know, it is free. It's one of, like, the only free things in New York besides, like, recovery self-help meetings. So, <laughs> you know, highly recommend doing it. Well, Julia, thank you so much for playing around. Uh, I think I owe you, what, a dollar, two dollars? It's okay. You can keep it. Don't worry. (laughs) I remember, it's funny, I told my grandmother, um, who was alive at the time, that I was moving to Brooklyn. And she looked at me and she goes, why? We worked so hard to get out. <laughs> and I, I explained to her how much Brooklyn had changed. Uh, my name is Peter Shelsky, and I am one of the owners of Shelsky's of Brooklyn Appetizing and Delicatessen and Shelsky's Brooklyn Bagels. My name is uh, Louis Spada, and I am from Brooklyn, born and raised, and I am business partners with Peter Shelsky. I don't know if you guys can hear his accent, but he's definitely got the Brooklyn accent. Uh, there's this old thing, you know, people from Brooklyn, you know, are, are you know, were shady people. It was the outcast kind of borough. And I think that's changed a lot. 
the shadiness is gone, right? But while Brooklyn has picked up a lot of this, this newness, I think what's really cool is that the, the things that made it great to begin with are, for the most part, still around. You know, you can still wait online at Tafara and get a sick pizza pie, but you could also go to a newer pizza place, be it Weeded or Poly G's, and there's so much good new and old. Yeah, Peter is like, with, with that, when it goes to that, I'm old school, like Tafara and Spumoni Gardens, like, that's standard for me like i don't get the whole lmb thing yeah he's 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 such a transplant and it drives me nuts yeah lmb is just overly sweet but you're wrong and it's okay you can say you've said you're wrong you want to say it now on the record it's being not not about that you totally should because you're wrong Not about that you're wrong um for me uh growing up with you know appetizing growing up with a new york bagel um, I remember, you know, bagels that were dense and chewy and, and had some substance to it and seeing where the bagel has come from, like gone from like what I remember it to what it is now is, in my opinion, like a disgrace and disrespectful. We pay attention to how bagels should be made, which is like anything slow and and with attention to detail. I originally opened uh, Shelsky's as an appetizing store. Um, appetizing refers to a type of cuisine, um, and it refers to anything that you would put on a bagel. It was uh, Eastern European Jewish immigrants that came to the United States, to New York, um, in the first half of the 20th century. They were all pretty poor. I mean, they were peasants. Um, so they needed their food to go further and last longer. So they cured it and pickled it and smoked it. And uh, furthermore, they were they were very observant Jews, so they kept kosher. So meat and dairy could not be served in the same place, but that's not true for fish and dairy. So smoked salmon and cream cheese were born to go on our bagels. A bagel is meant to be small, dense, and chewy with a profound crust. A New York, New York bagel has about 450 calories before you start putting anything on it, so you better damn well start burning those calories just by chewing them. Okay, hold on, Pete. I I... I want to, and I'm sorry, I'm going to take this on because I have to say that up until about three or four years ago, my New York pride had made me say that, yeah, it is the water. Um, I have since flipped on that and uh, have aligned myself with my wonderful business partner, Peter, and saying that it is not the water. Well, Jersey's got some really good bagels, doesn't it? I'm not going that far. Jersey's got some really shitty water, though. I will say yes. Jersey's water supply is very different than New York City's water supply, and it's pretty lousy. And you make some pretty great pizza and bagels out there, and it is absolutely not the water. It is the know-how. As I like to put it, uh, bread with a hole in it. Exactly. I think New York in general gets a bum rat, right? People think that New Yorkers are unfriendly. We're not. We're brusque, but we're always going to stop and point you in the right direction, and that is especially true. Uh, in Brooklyn. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Stick around. Here's why Queens is awesome. We have a Queens-based pizzaiolo who created a slice devoted to the new Mets shortstop. It's called El Lindor, and it's amazing. So that's how passionate we are about sports and food. You know, this guy heard Lindor talk about how much he loved pizza. And he said, you know, let me create something for him. 
My name is Joe DiStefano, and I'm a Queens-based tour guide and food writer known as the culinary king of Queens. The reason you need to leave Midtown Manhattan and come to Queens is because there's no place else on earth where you can experience so many cuisines and cultures without hopping on a flight. You've probably heard of Times Square and the Port Authority. Those are stops on the 7 line in Manhattan. For sure, the 7 train can take you to uh, the U.S. Open and the Mets game. But what you may not know is that the 7 line is known as the International Express. Here's what you should do. Take it all the way to the end of the line, Flushing Main Street, or as we like to think of it, the beginning of the line. That's where you're going to begin your journey. You start out with some awesome dumplings at White Bear, the infamous number six wontons in chili oil. After that, get back on the seven train and there's a couple of things you could do here. You could take the seven train to 74th Street where you can experience Indian, Tibetan, Colombian, even Burmese food inside the subway station at Yun Cafe and Asian Mart. Or you could have a picnic. You could walk off some of your dumplings and Chinese food and get off at Metz Willits Point, make your way to the Unisphere, the iconic symbol of the 1964-65 World's Fair that was when it was built, it had nothing to do with diversity, but it's come to symbolize the diversity of Queens. So you can walk past that and make your way to Mamas of Corona and grab a wonderful Italian hero with fresh mozzarella, and you can enjoy that in the infamous Spaghetti Park. If the season's right, you can watch old guys arguing over games of bocce. By this time, I don't know if you're still hungry or not, so my suggestion would be to check out Nepali Buddhist Monastery in what used to be a church. It's called the United Sherpa Association Buddhist Monastery, and it's really beautiful. At this point, you'll probably be along, um, call it 74th and Roosevelt. You could take a nice walk and build up your appetite to visit Philomania's Pizza, which opens at 4 p.m. Amazing, amazing pizza made by uh, Dave Acosella. By this time, uh, it's probably time for dinner. So I would suggest walking to Long Island City and having dinner at Emwell Steakhouse. Uh, and you can follow it up with a nightcap at the awesome uh, pre-prohibition cocktail lounge, Dutch Kills. And, and that's just what's on the seven line. There's all sorts of other stuff. How'd I do? I think uh, the perception is that it's a dark, scary place. And that's only amplified by the people who choose not to come into the Bronx and experience it for themselves. You know, most people's moments in the Bronx are in Yankee Stadium. They are at Arthur Avenue, or, or maybe even if you go further north to Riverdale. And so if you just take 10% of that and you ignore the 90% of it, you're just going to assume that it's the worst. 
Um, so my name is M. I am a Bronx-based, uh, I guess you could say influencer, though I don't really love that word. I would, you know, peruse through Instagram and Facebook, and I would see really nothing that highlighted not just that neighborhood, but a lot of the Bronx. And so um, the goal of highlighting my neighborhood's restaurants became really about highlighting the rest of the Bronx. And that evolved into trying to change the narrative that people mostly have about the Bronx. I mean, look, the Bronx has had a, a bad reputation for a while. It's had a really tough history, but it's really unlike, you know, I mean, all of these other boroughs are, are the same, right? They've had stories of struggle, of strife, uh, of, 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 you know, buildings being burnt down, neighborhoods being gentrified. It's all cyclical. And that's really not fair to the people here because the reality is, is that it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a peaceful place. And it has an amazing beach, has beautiful parks, has incredible restaurants. I've always mentioned to people this restaurant called Seis Vecinos, and it's a Central American restaurant, and it has an expansive menu. And I think that's one of the best, if not the best representation of what people can expect to get from the Bronx. Uh, there's also Kingsbridge Social Club, which does artisan pizzas. You have uh, 188 Bakery Cuchifrito, which is a Latin spot, but one of the best Latin spots in the entire city. It's actually a restaurant that I had found out about through Anthony Bourdain's show. Um, and those three places really show you the diversity. So you have your Latin spot, you have your Central American spot, you have Artisan Pizza, incredible Italian dishes at Kingsbridge Social Club. There really is no lack of choices in the Bronx when it comes to restaurants at all. When it comes to the train system, they both cross here in the Bronx. So you can take the D train, you can take the two train, uh, the five train, the six train, the four train. Like there is, there is no lack of choices when it comes to jumping onto the train and heading over into the Bronx. I just think that because there's this weird way that the negativity of the Bronx perpetuates itself, people just hang on to that and they don't want to give credit to all of the good things that come from the Bronx. There's a lot of beautiful things to do here. Um, and it's just, it gives you as many options as a place like Brooklyn or Manhattan. So it's definitely a place that, you know, people should feel absolutely safe to come with, with their family. Ivy Mix is one of the most celebrated and in my opinion, talented bartenders in New York City. She's often credited with being a prime figure in the rise of mezcal in the States over the past decade, and she might be the only person who loves drinking in New York City more than I do. So, obviously, she is the perfect person to play a round of booze-themed NYC trivia with us. Let's get to it. So, Ivy, uh, what's up? How are you today? I'm good. You know, I mean, I feel like Mercury's in retrograde because um, lots of things just aren't working for me. Yeah, I just, I went to ismercuryinretrograde.com and... It says, no, something else must be bumming you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope your day is about to get a little bit better because we're here to talk about two things that go very well together. New York City and drinking alcohol. Woohoo! I am fortunate enough to live pretty close to Landa, your, your bar and restaurant, and I'm extra fortunate to love Mezcal, but... 
For people who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind Leyenda and some of the things you can drink there? For sure. Yeah. So Leyenda was inspired by my history of living in Latin America. Um, I moved to Guatemala when I was just 19 um, and fell in love with bartending. Then when I moved to New York in 2008, I really kind of got more into the cocktail scene and I was always drawn to Latin spirits. So when it came time to open up my own spot, I really wanted to open up a place that wasn't just a tequila and mezcal bar because there's a bunch of them, but I wanted to open up a place that was really a celebration of this larger continent. It's not just one continent, it's like one, two, one and a half, and the different spirits and stuff that come out of it. So that's Landa in a nutshell. That's great. You obviously have the chops, so I am here to ask you a few trivia questions about drinking in New York City. I love it. There are multiple choice. Love it. Let's get right into it. I love it. Shoot. According to alcohol.org, where I get all of my information, (laughs) residents of New York City spend the most per capita on booze out of any city in the country. In one year, how much will an average New Yorker spend on booze? Is it A, $2,229.82, B, $750.49, or C, $1,899.42? I'm going with C, $1,800. No, it's the highest number on here. A, $2,229. Yes! That's originally what I wanted to say, but I was like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm a horrible alcoholic if I say that. That, I mean, I'm definitely, yeah. Okay, good. So Ivy, you've been all over the world mixing drinks and drinking drinks. Uh, What is bar and drinking culture like in New York City? Why why is it different from other cities? Drinking in New York is vibrant and kind of a way that we all get to escape out of our shoebox apartments. It is such a community and like bars do have the capability of being such a beacon for their community. You can do a dive bar and a fancy cocktail bar and a fancy wine bar on the same block. And who doesn't love that? The next question I have for you, uh, what's the oldest bar in New York City? A, McSorley's Old Ale House in the East Village. B, Francis Tavern in Fida. I may be saying that wrong. It's it's like Francis, but with extra U. Or C, Ear Inn in Tribeca. Mm, McSorley's. Is that your final answer? Ear mm, mm, Inn. Oh, you said you're in. Okay, so you switched. Okay, well, in either case, you are wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a horrible drinker. Yeah, it's B, uh, Francis Tavern, and Fidei. But, okay, so here is the deal. This is pretty hotly debated. Um, The three of them each kind of claim to be the oldest bar in New York City, along with a handful of others. But it does seem that Francis Tavern has been a tavern specifically since the late 1700s. They were serving alcohol there. There's, you know, the whole sorry George Washington and some Sons of the Revolution Mm. drank there. There's a museum there now. It's actually the oldest standing structure in Manhattan. But, you know, those other two places are extremely old. They've each been operating since the 1800s. On McSorley's, I have a bonus question. Oh. Not part of the official game. When you go to the bar at McSorley's, there are about a dozen wishbones hanging above the bar. Do you know what those bones are from and what they represent? Oh, God, I do. I remember when they dusted them for the first time and everyone was so upset. Like, the Department of Health went in and were like, those are too dusty. I think it had something to do with people going off to war. Am I making that up? No, you're actually right. According to legend, 
some of the regulars that went to fight abroad in World War II put those wishbones over the bar with the intention of one day coming back and collecting them. And a lot of people did, but the ones that are still there are from the people that never came back. See? One for three. Well, that wasn't that wasn't a real question, so that was just a... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ivy. Next question. This is about a specific uh, New York City drink combination. The pickleback, which if people out there don't know, it's a shot of whiskey with a pickle juice chaser, was invented at which legendary New York City dive bar? A. Bushwick Country Club in Williamsburg. B. Milano's in Nolita. Or C. Kelly's Pub in Flushing, Queens. Uh, BCC. Yep, correct. Bushwick Country Club in Williamsburg. We talked to the owner of Bushwick Country Club about how they came to invent the pickleback. So we're going to roll that clip. Uh, My name is John Roberts, and I'm the owner of the Bushwick Country Club, the home of the pickleback. The magic of the pickleback is this. It erases the shot. You could have the worst whiskey the second you have a good quality pickle brine. It's all disappeared. It's like, I don't even remember doing a shot. Which can be dangerous when you're like, let's do five more of them. It was created at my bar March 12, 2006, by my bartender, Reggie, who was really hungover that day and was eating a jar of McClure pickles. And a woman came in and said, I want to drink that pickle brine. Reggie was like, no, no, no. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have a beer and a shot special with a tall boy, a PBR, and a shot of Old Crow bourbon. So he's like, we'll do a shot first. And he did a shot of Old Crow and then a pickle back. So he coined the phrase. And then other bartenders, since Bushwick Country Club has a lot of like industry people that go there because uh, it's a wonderful dive bar. And so then they would take it to their bars and be like, oh, you got to do this. So at first it was just pretty much an industry only thing. And then everyone else was like, what's that? Oh, what's that? oh, I got to try that. And then they go from visiting New York, go back to their state and be like, you got to try this. It literally is worldwide. I have friends in Tokyo, friends in London. They're like, it's here. I was interviewed by a a podcast from Australia. And they're like, we love it down here. So it's literally worldwide. I love a pickleback. I mean, certainly I have to like call the day at two. Right. I also like doing my picklebacks with things that aren't whiskey, which is like sacrilege, but um, I like a rum pickleback. I think that's very tasty. Um, But then, of course, when I ask for it, people are like, gasp, (laughs) that has to be whiskey. I'm just not a big whiskey person. So give me some rum. Give me some tequila. It'll be also good. I love dive bars. I love dive bars more than I love any kind of bar. One of my favorites is Monteros. Yes. Not that far away from Leyenda. It's great for dreary day drinking. Um, I adore it. Something that I wouldn't exactly call it a dive bar, but Sunny's in Red Hook, I think, is one of the best bars of all time. And then what is that bar in Midtown? It's in Times Square by the boxer the guy he's a he's a boxer or he was a professional cutter yeah it is uh uh jimmy's corner right yeah jimmy's corner jimmy's corner is a great bar i love jimmy's corner yeah that's that's (laughs) a great place for someone that's like if you find yourself in times square for some reason and you want somewhere to drink that's not um a Bubba Gump shrimp or something like that (laughs) uh that's a great place to go so it's, it's always great to have that start on your map 
Next question. Um, if you go to any of New York City's parks or beaches in the summertime, you're likely to see a lot of people drinking and some people selling small, brightly colored, sometimes frozen bottles of pre-made cocktails. So this is obviously illegal, but it is a longtime New York City tradition and it's really awesome. What are these bootleg booze bottles commonly called? A, firecrackers, B, nutcrackers, or C, carjackers? B, nutcrackers. Yes, boom. Slam dunk, the nutcracker. <laughs> uh, have you had a nutcracker? Oh, God, yes. In my <laughs> early, early Brooklyn days, I would go to Coney Island and just pound. Yeah, and then like somehow try to get back in the C train, like, oh, good. You know? <laughs> What is the best cocktail that you've ever had in New York? And um, I'm going to put a technicality in here and say that it, it can't be from one of your own establishments. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it. Um, let's see. The first one that comes to my head, the Irish coffee from Fort Defiance in Brooklyn is probably the most delicious thing. Pete Wells from the New York Times called it the best Irish coffee in the known world. So, you know, Pete Wells, hard guy to impress. If you have an opportunity to go get a highball, a Katana Kitten, it is out of this world. It's kind of like a cheating cocktail, to be honest with you, but they are so cold and so bubbly and so awesome. And Masa is the most wonderful, beautiful, fantastic man on the planet. So yeah, just Katana Kitten is, it is the best. Just go there anyway. <laughs> uh, last question. In which of these iconic New York City high culture destinations do they not serve alcoholic beverages? A, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. B, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in Times Square. C, the Staten Island Ferry. D, you can buy alcohol in all of these spots. I'm going to go with D. Yeah. Obviously, that's the answer. All right. We would have added that, but it's true. They have a bar at the rooftop of the Met. You can buy beers in Madame Tussauds and walk around. Actually, pretty cheap. That's one of my city hacks. And you can drink on the Staten Island Ferry, of course. There, there's a bar on there. So here, we got to talk about the Staten Island Ferry because that is the best tourist thing to do. Not only can you drink, you don't even have to buy their drinks. You can just bring your own. I have brought nice wine, nice champagne on the Staten Island Ferry, which, by the way, is a free trip. You can go see the Statue of Liberty. Like whenever I have a friend coming to town in normal times, I would be like, okay, we're going to go and get boozy on the Staten Island Ferry. And no one gives a flying F about it at all. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ivy. Um, you did pretty well at this game. Um, you know your stuff. So <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on. All right. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, it's been great. Love what you guys do. I'll see you on the ferry, right? Yes. Oh, my God. Please bring it on. <laughs> so big thanks to Ivy for playing. If you're in New York City, definitely check out her wine shop, Fiasco, and Leenda, her restaurant. And if you want to follow Ivy on social media, there are links in our description. We're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back to wrap things up. Okay, so if you're wondering why we didn't get anyone from Staten Island to come on, well, that was not a mistake. We're actually going to open up the floor to you all. Everyone out there who loves Staten Island, call into our toll-free hotline, 1833 Pod Baby, and tell us why Staten Island doesn't actually suck. 
And if you happen to take a ride on the Staten Island Ferry this summer, tweet your pics and tag Thrillist. If you listen closely, you can probably tell I'm on the Staten Island Ferry right now. All right, so before we break, I just want to plug two upcoming projects from the extended Thrillist family. On April 20th, we're dropping our 2021 Fast Food Awards, The Fasties, hosted by Tim Chantarongzu and David So. It's a ton of fun. There's a lot of great picks there. It will definitely make you hungry, so you can find it right now on Thrillist's YouTube page. All right, we also want to plug a podcast from our sister brand, Now This. If you're looking for your next listen, tune into Who Is, a podcast from iHeartRadio and Now This for deep dives into the backstories of the power players shaping our politics, from Nancy Pelosi to Mitch McConnell. Host and my own personal friend, Sean Morrow, delves deep into how the world's most powerful people became who they are today, where they came from, how they think, and what they might influence next. Find Who Is on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. All right, that's it for us. Big thanks to producers Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask. Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudar. This episode was edited and mixed by Jake Rasmussen and Peter Wagner. You made it to the very end of the episode, so I will leave you with a fun fact. I'm not really on the Staten Island Ferry, but I wish I was. Okay, bye.